Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. John Wick returns to the big screen, and so we return to talk about it here on Anatomy of Movies. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Anatomy of Movie. As I said, we're talking John Wick, Chapter 2. Might as well be called... The fourth Matrix, because Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne return to the big screen together. Um, and if you haven't uh, seen the movie, know that things will be spoiled for you, because that's what we do here. We talk about things. Um, anyway, we have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. How are you? Excellent. Phil, what's going on? Well, John Wick 2. Chapter 2. Jo- there you go. John Wick Chapter 2. Um, and we're going to get chapter three, I imagine. <laughs> I, to. You, I think so. I think so. Like, it was so blatant at the end. Uh, you know, it's going to be John Wick takes on the world, apparently. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so it was, well, a, it was an interesting movie. B- before we dive into the third one, um, what were your <laughs> overall impressions of chapter two? I, well, I call this chat, uh, you know, I said this about the first one. Uh, but this is John Wick Chapter 2, a.k.a. Anatomy of a Headshot. <laughs> um, you know, if you like the first one, I think you're more than likely going to like the sequel. It's more of the same and more of it. Um, you know, only one director of this go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that didn't seem to hinder, like, one director, like, Having it down didn't have the action. Uh, you know, it, it, you had from car chases to fist fights to gunfights. I have to say, the stunt work in this movie is some of the best that I think we could potentially see all year as far as practical effects that you'll see in camera. Uh, New York, New York gleams as beautifully as ever as in the first one. I think. Even the trees were glowing in this movie. <laughs> I mean, they really make, like, the night shots of New York City are just awesome. awesome yeah. Especially on a big screen, it looks awesome. So, and while I felt the movie did a good job expanding, let's call it the wick averse, uh, I still think it left more questions than answers for us. Like, I wasn't quite... I'm still... And maybe the audience can help me out. Um, why doesn't everybody buy one of those bulletproof tailored suits? Because <laughs> like, exp- they cost a coin. Same as a I, cup of coffee, by the way. I, I, I get it. <laughs> but it seems like everybody has money to burn. Or, or cougarans or whatever they are. Like, I don't understand why all these people aren't buying these suits. And And if a bad guy is part of the club... Are his minions also part of the club? Or are they separate from the club and they're just associated with the bad guy when he walks out of the club? I, I get it. This is all silly shit. That This is the crap that I start thinking about when I'm watching uh, a movie like this. Um, also, w- w- why can a member of the club take out a contract on another member of the club? To me, that seems like it would be counterintuitive to getting new members to join. <laughs> like, join a club where somebody else in the club can take me out. I, I sort of kind of didn't understand that. Um, you know, so with all that said, I still had a good I, I had a good time watching this movie. It was fun. Uh, I guess if I was going to really critique this movie for me, 
Uh, it runs a little long. I, I'm mm -hmm. not entirely sure that John Wick Chapter 2 needed to be two hours because mm -hmm. it did seem to get a bit repetitive. Um, and by a bit repetitive, it was two shots in the chest, one in the head or the face. Yeah. And, and so, and I felt sort of kind of that way in the first one too. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to John Wick versus the world. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. So that's what I thought. How about you? Uh, you know, I, I was excited for this movie and I thought it worked well. Um, and seeing it, I liked the idea that it's called chapter two because it literally picks up where the, the first one left off. So much like a book, you know, it's, it's literally the next right. chapter. And then I imagine uh, chapter three will be... Like, I can't imagine the third one not being exactly where this one picked off. It couldn't be. It couldn't be, like, in five years later. Yeah. I mean, it could be, but why? <laughs> yeah. It would literally skip over the most interesting stuff. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I, I, I like the world that was sort of presented, um, but I do have that – and I, I don't think we're the only ones. I've, I've seen a lot of variations of it that, that if you start to just pull a little bit at, okay, the world doesn't quite fully make sense. As I joked, uh, you know, a suit that might in the real world cost $10,000 costs a coin, but a cup of coffee costs that same coin. So the currency, I don't, I don't understand quite its value. Um, I guess if I was to really quickly answer your question in terms of the club, um, I think I think um, in my mind, I guess it would start with the whole idea of the um, you know the the oath and yeah. the fact that he that that Wick needed to go off and do this. Well, therefore he sort of quote unquote blow. You know he needed to. He that had I to. understand. I, I understand the oath and and honoring a debt. I and I get. That part I didn't question. But then but then the reason why he's able to then take it out on John Wick was because John Wick was the one who did this. So then he therefore he must be killed. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me. Like it didn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense as to why the heads of the Continental would allow this. And 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 that character um the guy from Deadwood, Eden McShane. Mm -hmm. He even told that Italian guy, "Look what you're doing." Like, you're only going to bring wrath upon yourself at some point. Like, he had a conversation with him, but it's like, well, no, like, you should probably stop him from, he did what he was supposed to do to honor his debt. He did what he was asked to do and what he was promised. Everybody seemed to know this. I don't understand why the club continued to allow what that guy ended up doing. My other thing is, too, and maybe somebody can enlighten me on this, too. What is this club? Like, who are these people? Like, are they... They don't... Yeah, I just don't... Who are they? <laughs> it's just don't think about it. Just The more, you, the more you think... Because, I mean... Here's the thing. There's, you're trying to think of too, too many rules. Um, last time, we sort of learned the rule about the Continental. This time, we rule... We, we gain knowledge into um, debt. 
And maybe in the third one, we'll re learn what the third rule potentially is. But although we're only told that there's two rules. And that's it. So yeah. th by, th by that definition, yeah, they can kill each other in the club, just not in the Continental. Because that's, I guess, a pseudo third rule. Even Well, I guess that's rule number one. Um, so yeah. therefore, yeah, th that's, that's it. Yeah. Those are the two rules. Okay. Interesting. And yeah, no, I matter. get it. It's just... Um... Again, I, they expanded well because now. Well, the other thing that we did learn is that this appears to at least be. I'm going to make the leap and say it's worldwide. Mm -hmm. I mean, because this a lot of this was um, a lot of the action took place in Rome. Yeah, and there was a continental there, so I'm going to figure that there's a continental in maybe England and China, Japan, all the major cities of the world. There is a safe haven for. These people and whatever they do and how they get contracted and 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 whatnot. It's definitely not a Jason Bourne kind of uh, kind of thing or the accountant for that matter. But it, it, I'm curious just to know about like what is this? How does John Wick get involved? And I know that they talk maybe a prequel. Oh heaven forbid there was probably going to be a television show. I think it's been um, announced. <clears throat> so um, you know it's it's very interesting. The movie is fun. It's it's a good... Like I said, I, I didn't have a bad time watching it. It didn't make me angry. Not even close to making me angry. I had a good time. It was two hours, to, you know. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting is, uh, as far as the director goes, he, he wasn't... There was no... After the, after the first John Wick, they really weren't having any plans. Like, when they wrote it, get Keanu to come in... There wasn't plans to, to to go back to this world again. They 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 more or less thought it as a as a one off, and it was after its success. Lionsgate's like, hey, you guys want to come back? <laughs> and it's uh, like, yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything. Well, in, <laughs> in, in some sense, uh, that's what sort of makes for the best sequels is when you're not necessarily planning on it. Because I think too many people have the intention. Oh, that you know, this is going to be. And now it's let more more so. Not even trilogies, it's quadrilogies. <laughs> well, they, you know, all, no, you're all, right. Hunger Games and this and that and so forth. So, um, the, the Divergent series, right, right. So, so I think too many people go in mind. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna make this into multiple movies. Just go out, make and a make great a movie. movie. If it does well, guess what? Have mm -hmm. another one. Yeah, and make that one good. And then if it does well again, have a third one. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2 and the genesis of it. I, I, I think Lionsgate was hoping for a franchise. Um, but John Wick played out like movies played out in the 80s, 90s. You wouldn't necessarily announce a sequel. Um, you you wouldn't... Oh, we were getting some, some answers. I see live chat. Oh, uh, I, I will get to you, uh, Chaos13212. Uh, um just let me th finish the thought. Um, so I just think that back in the 80s, 90s, if you remember, sometimes a movie may not have fared greatly at the theaters, yeah. but then it found a life on video, uh, on home entertainment, and then on cable. And then people like, like, like the first Wayne's World movie. Um, finds this or i'm sorry austin powers is a great 
example where it really found a life on that secondary market and they're like hey we got a, something big here we're going to make a sequel and john wick was sort of kind of the same thing it did modest business people seemed to like it but once people started streaming it or on demanding it or getting a blu-ray or renting it from wherever then it really built up its momentum and um hence we get chapter two so, um, and Chaos here saying, uh, uh, 13212, thanks for tuning in. But he believes that the club is part of the hotel. That's why John's in trouble. And it's a, it's a league, uh, it's a safe haven for assassins. Okay, I, I guess. But they seem to get orders from, you know, I, it's just interesting. Um, so, uh, cinematic universes I, now. I don't know, it's Slim 412. I mean, here's what we can we, we can ag- we can agree on that. Yeah. But what we can't agree on is the the details under which right. all of this is run by. Yeah, because they seem to furnish these assassins. You can get weapons. You can get uh, you can get weapons. You can get bulletproof suits. You can get all the materials that you need uh, from there. So, and yes, DVD sales used to save franchises. And Slim Four One Third, you're Forty One Third. You're absolutely correct. DVDs did use to save franchises, and I think, in a sense, with the marketplace being is what it is today, I think, in a sense, they saved John Wick. Not that John Wick did horribly, but I think that they saw the aftermarket sales. And people were liking it even more. Hence, you get a really half-decent box office weekend for the second one. Because more people got to enjoy it. So, Absolutely. Um, well, yeah. I, you know, um, also, I just find very fascinating that um, Chad, the, the director, um, you know, I, I joked about the connection between Lawrence Fishburne and, and Keanu Reeves, obviously, between The Matrix. But Chad was actually... Keanu stunt double. Yes. And so when we talk about the action, I mean, who better to sort of learn at that point than from the, you know, seeing the Matrix trilogy come to life? And that was all about action, seeing it in camera, not cutting. And uh, I, I think he's really translated that. And obviously the relationship that he has with Keanu, yeah. um, it, I think it, it transpires onto the screen itself. Um, and obviously that, that seems that's one of the biggest selling points of both movies absolutely uh, i couldn't agree with you more and like this movie is a is a stunt person's haven um and you could tell the opening 10 minutes of this movie is um you, you know is is a car chase which was amazing by the way and like there is a scene um where this car comes like barreling out of a garage john wick's car and like just lands and turns and you can tell that that was in camera and it sort of reminded me of the first Jack Reacher movie where he's driving a bullet type car Steve McQueen car and that car chase was done practical effects that one looked very practical very little CG and then it turns into a fist fight that goes on for like 15 minutes and you could tell that this is like well number one you can tell that Keanu appeared to be doing most of his stunts I'm sure at some point he had to have had a stand-in, but they really did a good job at showing him doing a lot of the fighting, which was awesome. I think that that led to what I found to be fun in this movie, even though at times it did seem to be a little bit choreographed. But even with that said, it's refreshing to see, you know, and coming from a stuntman, you know, who worked with Keanu, there's obviously that trust there. 
Keanu now is what, 50, 50 plus? He still looks good, and he can still carry himself. Like, And I say this seriously because if you go back to the older Bond movies, particularly like the Roger Moore, I mean, they, they, they had that poor guy being in Bond when he was well beyond his 50s, but he, he was aging. And, and, you know, when you got to a view to a kill, it was pretty obvious he wasn't doing his own stunts. But here, John Wick, Keanu looks in great shape. He still has the chops. He's doing the fights. You know that he's getting down and dirty and physical. I think that's what makes watching part of the enjoyment of watching this movie. I think, you know, for for all the glory of the action, John Wick does get beat up quite a bit. And he's like, <laughs> Absolutely. like you can just see in his facial expression, I just want to go home. Just please stop. <laughs> like, don't make me have to kill you. Um, and, but he does. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think that that's um, I think that's part of the fun. It's like oh, it's like another. It's like he sees people, and it's almost like his shoulders like shrug, going, "Oh, come on!" It's like all right, set, settle down. <laughs> and um, but I think that's part of the little, for lack of better words, charm of I think what what audiences gravitate to. We are in a very CG world, and 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 even the director admits that he had to rely on some CG here. But we've talked about the practical versus the the um, digital world and how practical actually now, old is new and old looks refreshing. You know, I talked about that in uh, Ouija, The Origins of Evil, where a lot of it was in-camera effects. And The Conjuring uh, with James Wan do a lot of in-camera effects. I, I think audiences can suss that out now and they sort of kind of appreciate it other than being you know, barrage with a lot of digital effects. So when you get a movie like a John Wick Chapter 2, it doesn't suck, number one, and it's sort of fun to watch. Yeah. So, As you said, you know, one of the things that we also talk about <clears throat> is the fact that this is more... It comes down to both shooting and editing, but um, shooting-wise, they up the frame rate, so right. it looks faster. Um you know, the action. So let's say it took me like one second to walk across a hallway. Now all of a sudden it takes me half a second. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's a very short hallway. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but nonetheless, you get the point. Um, and then you couple that with editing, uh, you know, where you're literally cutting like four or five times within one second. Right. And it's, I, you know, as fun as, as, as kinetic as that looks, I'm also like, I have no idea what's going on. So I'm just going to just sort of relax and figure out what happened after because I'm sure they'll recap in some sort of way. But see, for me, though, that was one of the things that I sort of appreciated is that I didn't find that. I think that I thought they let the, I thought they let the fight scenes play yeah. out. Like You saw it. Yeah, you, you understood saw, right. what was happening. You, you, you got the geography. You saw, like, they weren't, like, they weren't quick cuts. It wasn't like an Olivia Megatonna crap guy who does like the Luke Besson uh, taken threes of the world where you'd have no idea what the hell is going on but here because he's a stuntman and he wants he wants his stunt people to get appreciated I guess and he knows how to do a hand to hand fight and somebody the opening scene was pretty much a demolition derby says that's that's, that's slim gentleman again he's right but we get to see it play out with not a lot of edits and cuts Again, it's something to be appreciated. It's it's almost an old style way of making movies 
where you're actually able to see people fight things out. Even people like Robert Redford and like a three three days of the Condor, you know, stunts are being happened. Like we're not moving the camera. We understand what's going on. So I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty cool. Um, uh, uh, Keanu was was asked an interesting question uh, uh, in a cinema blend interview that I found, and he was asked, "Was there something that you speaking of fighting? Was there something you needed, something you wanted in this movie in particular?" And uh, his answer was actually it was surprising uh, because a as an audience member, when this scene came up, I was just laughing hysterically. Uh, and he was like, yeah. He goes, I had to have a fight with a pencil. <laughs> I had to do a pencil fight. And I thought that scene was brilliant, being that I, I believe it was mentioned in the first John Wick. And it comes back up again. He goes, oh, did you hear the story about in a bar? He goes, oh, yeah, how he killed three men with a pencil. And all of a sudden, when he starts dispatching, some people with a pencil going it's a pencil fight that was a great fight i thought i thought it was i thought it was actually done extremely well i i applaud them for having the gumption to do so because it's one of the you know whenever you talk about those various stories um an audience's imagination takes it to such a darker level sure that then to see it you know you you run the risk of oh wait that's it right so uh but i think they they did a nice balance of you know where it was realistic but brutal at the same time and right. i think it's satisfied enough i was laughing because i was like oh my god we're getting the pencil fight <laughs> go he's taking people out with a pencil i thought that was great um i thought i just thought and it was done really well and it's a throwback the last time i can recall anybody getting taken out by a pencil was in um the dark knight movie yeah, with, with the, the joker. joker you know we do a magic trick and uh, here, I want to see the pencil, pencil disappear. Pencil disappear. It's last time I saw anybody uh, dispatch anybody with a pencil. Yeah, I just snorted. But um, it was a really good fight, and I really, uh, yeah, I enjoyed watching that. And again, the hand to handness of it, uh, the stamina that Keanu goes through, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to get to get that done, you know, and those are the moments that. Yeah, I can bring up all this dopey thing that I'm thinking about, but all in all, a pencil fight will make me forget about most of that stuff. <laughs> well, so. let's, uh, without unraveling it too much, but th- let's talk about the main villain, right? Because that, that he, Wick owes his debt to, to him. Santino. Santino. D'Antonio. He wants, uh, he wants a seat at the high table. Um... Which almost sounds like the, the, the you know yeah. it's always funny to me, but it, it just stems from like you know when you sit at the kids' table and then like the grown-up <laughs> table, so now the, there's the high table. But is it the high? It's the high table for the Italian mafia. No, the worldwide mafia. The worldwide. No, because because ra- remember they they were okay. talking about you know there's a guy from Asia and all the they, they mentioned a couple countries. Okay. So I guess um, the the sister was the Italian representative. Right. <laughs> is what it came. I don't know. That's what I came to understand it as he was supposed to get it he didn't wah i want it i the only way i can do it is i gotta kill my sister yes yeah but i can't do it myself because she's my sister she's my sister sure uh so obviously not not the nicest guy but uh you know he he plays the i didn't what what sort of lost me 
was what what the repercussions would have meant by him having the high table seat. Because they made a lot of that, you know, and that's where he... Because it, it's not that John Wick wants revenge because he loved the sister that much or anything right. like that. Like that, which, by the way, that would have sufficed in my mind. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. you have to kind of change it up and front load it a little bit to, to highlight the relationship between the sister. Agreed. Um, but it was more so that, you know, he, he poses a threat to New York and, and various other things. And, and it, just, it just got convoluted for... It was almost a MacGuffin because it seemed to... They seemed to say not only, like, that he would take over. He would, like, take over the Continental. Like, he mm. would be running things at the Continental. Which then goes, well, is the Continental run by the Mafia? Like, again, it was just... it To me, it just... It made more questions than answers. And I was trying to figure that out. Because why would you want this guy... Okay, so he gets a seat at this high table, but the Continental seems to sort of kind of be outside of that. But it was pretty much said that once he comes in, he's going to be running New York. And that means he's going to be running the Continental um, as well. So, I don't know. Winston, I think, would have something to say about that. <laughs> Played by Ian McShane. <laughs> I think, so, right. you know, I mean, yeah, it's just because the rules are not explicitly stated it becomes too much of a guessing game right and that's why i just default to just make it about the sister yeah because it would have it would have been just fine right you know no and you can this you can still have the fact that he's um that he puts the bounty on wick because of the fact he knows that wick's going to come after him right because of the sister it, yeah. it works sure i mean it, in very simple terms too yeah like that part didn't get overly convoluted although you'd go well that's a dick thing to do but it didn't get overly convoluted uh the other thing that i really appreciated but again by expanding the wickerverse okay it we were introduced to what could potentially be an even larger faction yet it's an underground faction and that's where we meet you know that's where we meet our awesome lawrence fishburne character um the king the the Bowery King, and all the eyes and ears that the that the Bowery King has, apparently all over the place, um, and I thought that that was an interesting, I thought that was an interesting layer to add to this, and in, in one way, shape, or form, it's going to have to be, you know, it has to be relevant to Chapter Three. No, it's going to have to be because they're outside of the Continental. They know about the Continental, but for some reason, they're not good enough to be in the Continental, but yet they have their own deadly cabal of homeless people. Yeah, and I, I mean, one of the things that I sort of took away from it, too, you know, um, they, they in a way recreated the Matrix moment, right? Where um, at the end, when, when um, Ian McShane, his character... Uh, Winston, when he pauses everybody, it's very much like when they're running through the simulation in the Matrix with Fishburne, and he says, stop, right, freeze, and everyone freezes. Um, so, obviously, very cool. It was a great scene. However, funny. What, 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 what sort of started to go in my mind was the fact that we have 100 assassins to every one person we got to kill. <laughs> Why? Right. It should be the other way around. Yeah. One per- like... <laughs> That's what I can't 
quite figure out like it just seems everybody's part of this in one way shape or form um but it was fun to see Lawrence Fishburne again. Uh, it was fun to see he and Keanu together. Um, I, I enjoyed this new faction literally in the streets of New York. And I wonder if it's just a New York thing, much like, you know, the Continental in the first one, we took it to be just New York until they expanded it. I wonder how far ranging the Bowery King as they have a like a Fisher King in England or something like that. I don't know, but I but I like that layer. Um, and there was sort of the the antithesis of of the. They were the exact opposite. They were the mirror image of the Continental. Over you know they they, they were street people. Well, I, I also enjoyed you know um, you know seven million seven bullets. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you get. Yeah. All right. Fine. Uh, yeah, so I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, there was what I appreciated about it was its humor mixed into all of this. Just the right. fact of you know at, at the Continental in Rome, just the only question being not the Pope, right? Right. <laughs> and then every, everything is okay. That's the only thing that just right. can't, you can't do that. Yeah, that was so. a funny scene. So um, I want to talk about Stileski's, uh you know, we talked about this guy, and number one, he did study martial arts as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, his his dad got him into Bruce Lee. He trained um, in this world renowned. I know nothing about this, so forgive me. Uh, in Osanto Martial Arts Academy in California, he was becoming a competitive kickboxer for a time. A stunt coordinator saw one of his demonstrations. And asked him if he'd ever consider stunt double work. From that day, he actually doubled for Brandon Lee and The Crow. A great movie. We know the tragedy that transpired, uh, unfortunately, over there. But then he worked uh, later on with Lana and Lily Wachowski in the Matrix films. And as Keanu Reeves' stunt double in the first movie. And he was the martial arts stunt coordinator for the sequels. Now, say what you will. Like, The Matrix is a groundbreaking film. And say what you will about the sequels, you can't take away that what the Wachowskis did. Like it was, it's groundbreaking genre cinema, and each movie upped the ante as far as its stunt work goes. So, you know, and this guy worked in The Expendables, Three Hundred, Spider Man Two. I like the fact that he was able, he was able to, as a stunt person, make a leap into being a director. You know, he almost, he reminds me again, he reminds me in a way of like a Burt Reynolds because Burt Reynolds was a stunt guy who became an actor, who became a director and Hal Needham, Hal Needham was a stunt guy. He's a, a well, he's a collaborator with Burt Reynolds in some of the Burt Reynolds best action movies. Um, you know, he was a stunt guy who became a director um, and it just seems like if, if you have a good flair for telling stories and these are the things you're going to want to do, like, like this guy could be good for doing a Jack Reacher movie, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, for these type of, like, where, where practical effects are going to be better and cut your budget, like, this guy seems, you know, it would seem a right way to go. 
Hire, hire a guy who has some flair behind a camera. And I think that this guy definitely has that. And he's able to tell a story and we're able to see and it's not confusing. I, I, like, I like the way of his progression in becoming a director. And now he's getting offers like crazy, which I think is great. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, sticking to the wheelhouse of action, I think he'll do just fine. Um, you know, and I think he got, he, for me, right, you talked about the, the shots and how everything looked. He got paired with a really nice um, cinematographer, Dan Laustens. Lawson. Lawson. Dan Lawson. Um, the, the one that stands out for me in terms of what he's done before is Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know a movie like that if you guys don't you know it's all about sort of the reds and that's all I'll sort of say and you know they had to sort of play with that and, and they made it look fantastic yeah uh, not we the talked, world's greatest movie but did, I'm a huge fan of Crimson Peak I mean as far as a gothic romantic gothic mm-hmm. horror movie I, I think Guillermo hit it right on the head but you're right you can't take away from the look of that movie yeah. it was stunningly beautiful from the reds to the black and whites to the shadow. And what he does here, um, what Lawson does here is not only does a cinematographer have to pay attention to what's going on as a, in a fight scene and lighting so that the audience can see it. But this movie, a lot of it took place in the Rome caverns. And he utilized darkness and shadow. like, And we were still able to see. And that's what I really loved about you know, from New York, which is flashy and beautifully lit. And then when we go to those caverns, the pool in, in which the sister commits her suicide, too, that's another scene where candlelit and, again, the color of red introduced in that. Yeah, Dan Lonson did a fantastic job as a cinematographer. Sometimes people don't pay attention to that when it comes to an action well, movie. I'll say the only, you know, try recreating that mirror finale. Mm-hmm. The fact that we spent that much time there, and, um, you know, I'm sure there had to be some digital work done to get rid of certain things. There was. But uh, still, that's that's a tough feat, nonetheless, to shoot any time with mirrors. Yeah, they, they, they said they did 39 scenes with reflection. Every scene opens with a reflection, whether it's in a mirror or a puddle. But you're right, and I think that it, it, it's funny because um, when I think of like mirror type things, I go back to to movies. I've got to bring up James Bond again, uh, the Man with the Golden Gun. You know, there's a house of mirrors that Bond has to go through. Again, it's not as big or elaborate as this. Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee movie has a fight scene in which. There is, you know, they're going through a house of mirrors. This movie, literally, I believe the set piece of this movie was done. So it was great. It was it was fun to see. It was uh, it was very, very, very well done. And I was like going, how are they hiding the cameras? And that had to be digital because there are scenes in which, you know, that the camera has to be there in reflection somewhere. Um, but uh, again, it was really cool scene that that utilized not only just gunfights but fist fights so they were running the whole gamut and then let it seemed as if that that scene lasted 15 minutes 10 15 minutes you know yeah and it obviously had to be coordinated really well um you know when you talk about because you know the 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 visual effects side of it is you got to take out that stuff and i'm sure i'm sure they had like green 
You know, you know how right. they dress themselves up in green material. I'm sure they sure. did that. But Could've. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. But nonetheless, in terms of you know, when you're doing it, you have to understand yourself how it actually works. You know, who's going in where, and and, and you know, it's almost like the maze that you get to see from above, and you're like, oh, this is easy. Um, but when you're actually doing it, it's not. And so uh, I give him a lot of credit because that's the practicality side of that right. to make sure everything works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And then if you want to get into the thematic side of it, you know, <laughs> in a John Wick chapter, too, I mean, again, when you're looking at reflection, it's like there are two sides of John Wick, you know, um, the survival side, the, 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 the grieving over his wife's side, and then the, 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 the brutal assassin yeah. uh, side, you know, I think that. You know, Stileski goes on, going on to that scene. We ended up buying two, three dozen, two or three dozen dance mirrors, movable mirrors on wheels. When we rented our rehearsal space, the stunt team and me, we'd go up there every weekend. We'd move mirrors around and hold mirrors and try to figure out um, where to hold the guns and all the different gags we can do with it. <laughs> so, you know, that, how fun would that, like, that's when you want to be a PA, sort of kind of, and be like an on-set PA. Because if you love movies, you want to be, th- that would be a cool thing to see. Seeing everybody wheel around these mirrors and then, like, in a sense, choreographing this scene. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's really fun. So I would love to do it with someone who actually knows how to do it, which it sounds like they do. Because if I had to do this myself, I would just, I'd, I'd get me a gun. I'd want to shoot myself. <laughs> Yeah. If I had to do this myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, the other sort of um, thing with Keanu, right? Um, obviously, he's had training before in terms of the Matrix, as we talked about. But, uh, you know, for this one, he returns to training with the uh, Special Forces. And that's, you know, and that's why he's very tactical about how he does right. things is because he's obviously picked up from them. Yeah. So, um, which, which actually has been fun. You know, there's... there's uh, you know, I don't know how many people got to do it, but as part of sort of the press tour, um, they allowed certain press to partake in sure. the training regiments. Sure. Yeah, there were videos out there, too, uh, that, that, that you can see that are pretty cool that they used. Um, but again, I think it goes to show, too, like Keanu's prep in doing this. There was, there's not a time, and I guess it can go back, you know, as far as The Matrix, and he's done other action movies, Chain Reactions, another action movie he's done. He's done action. He's no stranger to it. But he looks good with a gun. Like, he doesn't look uncomfortable handling a gun. And he definitely, because of perhaps The Matrix, where there was a lot of choreographed fighting scenes, he, you know, he's very good at that. And you can tell. And I don't disbelieve him when he's doing all that action. Um, and again, I think it's a, to a credit to him and to the director and everybody involved that for the most part, it looks like it's him doing his own stunts. So I think that helps for the realism of the film, even though we know that we're living in a hyper-real Wickiverse, you know? Absolutely. So... Um, now, did you know that uh, I have to go back because the mirror scenes were filmed in New Jersey um, in its own stage. And I just love that the action sequences, they started prepping action sequences three months before anybody unpacked the camera. 
mm-hmm. which makes sense the way mm-hmm. that things were all put out and I just like it would have been great to see storyboards or previs to see okay this is how we sort of kind of map this out mm-hmm. makes sense in a movie like this Absolutely. they did their homework yeah no I I, I agree um, <clears throat> one of the things also story wise uh, you know there's no real replacement but I'm glad that they didn't touch the dog in any sort of significant way. Right. It was a constant... I don't know. Well, I, I'd be curious to know if, if, if those watching thought it was a, a constant danger coming up, um, whether the dog would get touched or not. Uh, but I'm glad he never did, because that would have been too easy in a way, because it would have tied... Obviously, that's what motivated the first one. Right. Um, and I just like the notion that he doesn't have a name. Right. <laughs> He doesn't have a name. I don't care to give him a name. Just boy. Come here. Come here. And that's it. So um, I enjoyed that. But do you wonder if that's so that he doesn't become attached? Closely attached? Or is he just, I'm not naming him? Um, I I think there's definitely an attachment thing. Right. You know, associated with it. But uh, but obviously he does. I mean, he's... It, 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 as you said, it's the two sides of John Wick. Right. He wants to be out, but at the same time, he just can't help but be good at right. what he does. And so with this, it's like, you know, he he wants to love the dog, but at the same time, he doesn't want to get attached. If I get attached, they can use him against me. Yeah. So, um, so here's something, too. When we're talking about Keanu and his training, so the training Keanu, and there's three and a half months of prep. And they've come up with thirty moves, thirty moves that they love that they that they're gonna um, coordinate out. So each one of those moves, they they call it a plug and play. So little bits that are great. There's that transition to another movie that we know we want to be in that movie, and no one's done before. So we train Keanu on those, even if we don't know where they're gonna go. <laughs> so they train him to do stuff, and it was sort of kind of like, hmm, where do we put that in our movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that to me is like it's, a, it's sort of a interesting way to do let, let, let's train him to do all this stuff let's see what he can do and we'll figure out where to put that kind of a fight scene in the movie so well, I, I think with this movie uh, it worked out even easier because of the right. fact like towards the end when everyone's going after him um, you know what I, I enjoyed the way that was edited shot and everything else agreed because if they literally did, okay, we're at the train station, fight, he's outside, fight, that would have been the boringest thing in the world. Absolutely. But, but the fact that they kind of intercut it. Sure. And look, you know, each setting is so vastly different, lit different. Right. Um, and, I mean, just the fact that she's playing the violin and boom, she takes out a gun. Right. <laughs> uh, so, and, and, and it, it strengthened to highlight the fact that everyone's after him yeah. at the same time. Because if again, if you just kind of go one by one, right? Yeah, you sort of get it, and I said it's repetitive. But in doing it this way, the danger is ever present, all at the same time yep. from everybody. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, and and um, it's funny too. So when they're talking about the scene that took place in the museum, um, you got to come up with a, like a motion path, mm-hmm. like so. Wick's gonna shoot this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And we do what's called a previs. So they used previs, and we just take a you know a DSLR and shoot it, and we put it in the computer. We cut it, put muzzle flash in it, and then blood splatter. Which I'm sure that's where a lot of uh, 
a lot of most of the CG was probably the blood from headshots and whatnot. You know, so we strategic we strategically placed one of those thirty iconic throws or transitions somewhere in the choreography, and then we string it together with some great gunplay, and that's how we weave together one of those action sequences. And now, when you think about it that way, if you go back to see this movie again, you'll go, oh, looks so fluid. Like, you don't think that they go in haphazardly, but I love this plan of attack. And, you know, when you think about the movie, it works to a plum, I'd say. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, anything else about action or cinematography do you want to talk about, or do you want to jump into editing? Well, we could talk a little, you know, when we were talking about digital. Um, and and what's practical? Seleski, he breaks it down to about a sixty forty split, mm-hmm. which I'm actually surprised. It seemed to be even. I, I was thinking that it might have been a, like a seventy thirty, maybe even a, maybe seventy five twenty five. Um, we did as much as we believe was humanly possible in camera. We used old school tricks of putting people in a spot and moving mirror behind other mirrors to refract that. <laughs> Uh, people hiding under black, like you were saying, the green. Um, I mean, as much practical as you could from back in the day when Orson Welles did it in The Lady from Shanghai, which, again, is that another amazing mirror shot. Um, we stole ideas from director Robert Close and Enter the Dragon, all the way up to modern-day visual effects from what Zack Snyder did in, in of all movies. A guilty pleasure for sure, a sucker punch. But then there was another beautiful, uh, they mentioned, of course, a movie near and dear to my heart, Contact, in which there was some uh, great in-camera things that Robert Zemeckis does um, in that movie. So I love how he incorporates old and new technique. Uh, You know how much I love old cinema, and I love it when somebody is able to incorporate some old-style technique. They make it look fresh again. So... Um, I do really enjoy the that 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 split that sixty forty split mm-hmm. um, of practical, it, and it was tough to suss out. You know, and, yeah, when, I tell. and I when it's digital though too, it's erasing things. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a difference between using the digital to make Keanu fly through the air, or make him do something. You know making do something that like jump from one thing to another thing to another thing and you're using digital but if you're using digital as a tool to correct a scene because okay we got to get this out of here or we do that i get that that makes sense in today's modern day world of filmmaking absolutely um what else was i going to say about you know uh one of the things that helps is the movie's very dark and mm-hmm. so we, we, we talk a lot about this. Uh, it's it's obviously easier to manipulate visual effects when it's darker because they're less noticeable in that way. Right. You know, if, if everything was in the daylight, that would be a lot harder to differentiate. Right. Agreed. So. Agreed. Another thing that, that Belisky is a big fan of, as am I, um, big fans of silent movies and silent storytelling. Now, it's very... I, I noticed this. The opening 10, 15 minutes of this movie, Right couple of things hey we don't see we know it's john wick but we don't see john wick till about 10 minutes into the fight like we see legs getting into a car he's always in shadow but there's this one scene where the car is like careening around in new york street and up on a wall 
is a Buster Keaton movie. Buster Keaton, uh, one of the best, uh, right up there. I put him right up there with Charlie Chaplin as far as silent film stars, and he did his own stunts as well. Just look at things like Young uh, uh, Sherlock or or The General. Uh, some great, amazing things from Buster Keaton. The opening of the movie, once you make that correlation, is very choreographed silent film because no one's really talking except when you cut back to uh, Stromare mm-hmm. as like, you know, when he's talking about the boogeyman and Baba Yaga. But that was a, a just such a great scene. And I love the appreciation and the throwback to uh, to Buster Keaton. And uh, they said, was it hard to get the rights? They go, nope. All we had to do was just make a call to the estate, and they were more than happy to let us use it, which I think is great. It's a cool scene. Um, one of the things, uh, I guess, I don't know if how burning this question is to audiences, but I figured I'd ask so that way we can pose it to the audience mm-hmm. as well, and you and I can answer it. Sure. Um, Ruby, Ruby's character, and right. I don't know their na- actual names in the movie, but Ruby in common. To me, Ruby dies, common stays alive. Your opinion. I'm with you. So Ruby Rose played Ares. And this is her second um, movie that we're talking about. Well, we didn't talk about Triple X in depth, but she was in that as well. Yeah, I thought she was great. Um, no women speak for 40 minutes, apparently, somebody says. So um, I thought that Ruby Rose in this movie, she had a great, she had a great presence. Mm-hmm. And like an attractive presence in a way. She was like... You know, an assassin with 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 looks, almost mo- statue model esque. Um, she was really good. Uh, Common, that was really good too. I agree with you. Since he made it a point to tell Common, mm-hmm. this isn't an artery. If you pull this out, you're gonna bleed out. And he didn't say the same, or he didn't sign that. I think she was. I think he killed her. Because there was always the threat, too. She definitely was an assassin, where it, it appeared that Common seemed to be on, I think you said this earlier, Common Ground <laughs> with with um, uh, with Wick's character. And I think there was a... John Wick understood why Common would be going after him. Um, so I think there was, a profes- there was a professional courtesy, so to speak, there. And, you know... Common will more than likely be in Chapter 3, I'm going to guess, in one yeah. way, shape, or form. Yeah, it would be very interesting to see if they team up Yeah, or something like that. In Common was Cassian. Mm-hmm. Cassian, and he was really good, too. You know, we also had returns of Lance Reddick as uh, Sharon, the, the, the hotel... Uh, the, the, the butler, like, well, not butler, the, but he's at the front desk. He's yeah. almost the concierge, but he checks people in. He was really, it was really good to see him again. Um, John Leguizamo is back as Aurelio. Uh, <laughs> that scene <laughs> with the car. He's like, "Can you fix it?" He's like, "Well, you got this, this. Yeah, you'll get it. You'll get it by Christmas, twenty twenty three, or something <laughs> like that." Um, it was good to see him. Almost, you know. You wish that John Wick had a Willem Dafoe type friend that he had in the first in, in the first John Wick movie. 
I was hoping that somebody would come by John Wick's side, like Aurelio, to say, come on, man, this is bullshit. And maybe try to help him out. Maybe that will happen in the third one. I don't know. Um, but I was sort of hoping he had somebody. You know, obviously we know Willem Dafoe's character gets killed in the first John Wick. But I wish he had that friend who sort of kind of had his back. Well, that's the thing. He's a loner. He's got nobody. He's, now he does. <laughs> that's true. So he's got a $14 million bounty on his head. Yeah, that, that seems to, like, raise... Uh, with every frame of film that goes by <laughs> the projector, uh, I, I that <clears throat> ending to me though that that just got everyone pumped. Did it? Okay, let's. Uh, I guess let, let, let's talk about the ending. Did, so you said it got everybody pumped. Like how so? Well, because it's like and you're pumped to see the third one. You're like, yeah. play the third one next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it hasn't even been it hasn't been announced as of yet. Listen, the movie, the we'll one. talk about the full details, but the fact, it, 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 opening weekend, it doubled what the first one did. Sure. Like, come on. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it, you know, you'd be silly not to um, at this point. And I know that Zelensky wants to, he wants to, you know, he wants to continue it. Now, hopefully it'll just be the trilogy of films when we get the chapter three. That you know, and then if it goes on to TV, it goes on to TV. But let it have let it have its life on TV. Let's just not get into the six, eight, ten territory for John Wick, because that that would be quite repetitive. Yeah. So, um, but it 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 was interesting too. The audience that I saw it with was really into this movie, and uh, you know, when it comes to the end. To me, though, it just seemed. How do you get out of that? Like, well, that's the question. Like, how do you like the entire world seems to be after you now? Like the entire world. Well, that was, um, you know, for for those of you, and I'm not going to spoil it, but um, Breaking Bad, in terms of the technique, did a very similar thing, where they would ask him something like, "Do you know where you're going?" He'd be like, "No, we we try to write and get ourselves into the biggest hole possible." But then we were like, oh, shit, how do we get out of this? And that was the exercise. You know, you create the biggest stakes, and then you just have to somehow get out of them. Yeah, and sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Especially if you're talking episodic TV, like when you're setting up a season cliffhanger. But, you know, for a movie, I know they'll have more time to suss it out and figure out what he's going to do. I mean, we can talk about the potential, you know, but who listens to us? I mean, I got to figure that... The Bowery King's going to factor in in one way, shape, or form. Well, the guy, the the homeless guy was part of the last shot. Right. So you can't imagine him not going back to the king and saying, hey, here's what's up with Wick. Right. Everybody's got to know. So it would just be, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out where this goes. I guess let's talk about that, right? We'll we'll sort of switch it up. We'll talk about it. Sure. Well, because, okay, to me, in some sense, that one hour is going to be so crucial. I I could even see it being the first hour of the movie being literally the first hour of John Wick running away. Right. Because if you do it right, it could be the most compelling thing ever. It's true. I, well, it'd be very exciting to yeah. see John Wick on the run. And what does he do to prep? Because yeah. he knows what's coming out. He knows what's coming. Yeah. Um... And again, it was it was it's very unlike, you know. And this is the other thing. 
it's very unlike what happened to Adrian, uh, I believe her last name is Palicki's character in the first John Wick. You know, she she killed inside the Continental, and then about four, five, six assassins follow her out someplace in New York, and they all shoot her down. That was like, I, again, I remember the scene, I forget how many men there were. It was four, four to six. Like, Wick can dispatch six men with a pencil, <laughs> okay? How does he dispatch the world? And being that he was given this hour, what does he do to prep? We saw him prepping in Rome where he would put guns and things like that. Well, uh, what does uh, he do? Well, here's the question. It's, well, first off, it's a question of does he prep or does he run? I mean, my first instinct... Yeah, well, again, I think this goes beyond just a territory of New York. Right. But nonetheless, you know, you would imagine he knows some deep, dark, secret corner of the world. My first instinct is get a couple of guns, but then get your ass on a plane that leaves before the hour mark and go to goddamn what, what, deserted island number 432 I, that no I, one's ever heard of. I guess, but it, it, it seems really interesting because it just the, the one thing this movie also does is tell us how big this cabal is. I mean, that scene that you mentioned earlier that takes place in the park where Ian McShane says freeze and they all stopped. That was a lot of people and a lot of different age range, race, creed, male, female, Everybody, the only thing I didn't see was a little girl with a red balloon. <laughs> like, and you just go. That would have been funny. What's going that, on? <laughs> you know, and, the, and a little dog. You just go. It, you, it, 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 it does. It, it throws back to that scene in The Matrix. But it also goes, well, how the hell do you escape that? Like, that's how many people are in the park like, that's what they have control over. It just, again, what the hell is this organization? And why is everybody in it? It just seems like assassins outweigh common folk. Like, I, I, wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> you wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> well, let's just hope the bounty's not that big on your head. Yeah. That people won't care. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested uh, because, you know, who does he trust ultimately? He can't trust a lot of people. Right. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe Winston actually helps him out because he just likes him from a personal standpoint. Who knows? Who knows? Now, the other thing, too, Chad Stileski goes on. Since we're talking about this, it was something that I had when he talked about the sequel builds I, you know, build an idea from the first movie, right? And he he's breaking this down very much like we talked about. Like you said... It's good that they called it Chapter 2. So the next one's going to be called Chapter 3. Well, Stileski goes on. He t calls it somewhat... You're talking about episodic theory. And he mentions, again, a show that was near and dear to my heart when it was on, uh, like Magnum P.I. So the story is Magnum doing something, bad guys doing something, solves the case by the end of the show, or nowadays TV is in its three seasons of day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day continuing the story, which he's right, um, I'm a fan of both ways, depends on the project. This, I see one, two, and three is part of the same ongoing story. So, yeah. as we 
talked about, this will most likely not take place five months later. It'll take place shortly after the scene. And he's going to grant it. One and two take place within the same week. Number three, he does say, maybe a little bit more of a duration for John to get lost in the world and then come back. Hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see from which time point they pick up. As he's running, or maybe he's, maybe that hour is up, and we already see him stressing about where he is. I don't know. It'll be, uh, you It'll know, be he also goes on clock countdown. <laughs> right now, he also he also does say they they almost have a prequel written, but we'd save that for other aspects of the property. Lionsgate is very interested in doing a John Wick TV show, which you said was just announced. So it's funny that they. Announced a TV show before they've announced the, the, the green light for Chapter 3. Um, and I don't know if it's official, official, but right. the, um, it's just <clears throat> everywhere I look on IMDb, in, in parentheses, it has announced. Right. So, you know, announced can mean a lot of different things. Right. So, until it's in the can, non-TV with a premiere date, right. I, I don't... I don't uh, Going, I don't. I don't put my hopes up too much. Yeah. So uh, music, we could talk a little bit about music and, yeah. and Tyler so Bates. Get, yeah, and he says I love music to the point of ridiculousness, which is great. He goes, uh, that's why we did the club scene uh, in the first one. Um, and number two, we have a little. He goes, we have a. He calls it. I quote a shitload of classical music that's been electricized a little bit. <laughs> He goes, like, the last scene in the museum is Vivaldi's Fourth Season Summer, uh, he, he thinks. And that was done through synthesizers and actually done with firearm percussions instead of drums. And we use Hayden, we use Chopin. There's a ton of different classical music in this. And you sort of kind of, like, I'm not big into classical music, but there is some recall going, oh, okay, I'm sort of familiar with what's mm -hmm. going on here. Um, the music didn't bother me at all but he wanted to do like an opera but not like a tommy uh like rock opera he wanted to do a gunfight opera <laughs> which that's a new genre wins. for me it's a new <laughs> um yeah yeah I, you know i enjoyed the music quite a bit um i i found it fitting of the movie sure um you know not that this is 100 but like i can imagine myself listening to this yeah. outside as well uh, you know, and the whole movie, right? It's supposed to just sort of pump you up, build you to that last scene. Sure. And I think the music does. It never took away. It never took away. Now, did you know that Tyler Bates had a cameo? I didn't know. Uh, in the movie, he has a cameo. Um, uh, uh, Cassandra, the girl doing the opera. Um, you know, oh, the, he's the, the band, he's the guitarist. Mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's the guitarist. So uh, I think that, that uh, you know, that's... Uh, that's sort of fun. That's sort of funny that since we're talking about Tyler Bates. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought the music was fine in this movie. It did what it was supposed to do. It was to it was be a bed to the action, not overtake the action, but help propel the action in a, in a solid way and not just overpower our stars that we're seeing fight on screen. So I, I thought that it worked really, really good. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, his background, we, we don't talk about him a lot, but, uh, you know, he's he's done Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he's working on the second one, um, as we speak, I imagine. Right. And he's done movies like Slither, Super. Um, he does a lot of video games as well. Um, so I think, especially with a movie like this, you sort of get, because it is very much like um, uh, a, a mix of, a video game 
to being a movie as well. Sure. So, um, and he's also done Halloween, um, the Rob Zombie one. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, don't blame the music necessarily for that. Grindhouse, three hundred. Um, so he's he's sort of been he's, he's been know, around. He's been around, and especially you know it, it's fitting to you know when you work with a guy like um, uh, Rodriguez and and Tarantino, and then uh, for three hundred, that's kind of a stylized version of action as well, mm-hmm. in a much different way than John Wick. But right. he's familiar enough. Absolutely. He knows his way around. And, you know, from horror to action, the genres that he does, um, he works obviously very well with his director yeah. in getting what they want. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, something else that I was reading that you might find interesting, you, you, you folks might find interesting. Um, do you, he, the director was asked, um, any scenes without action that that took extra time to get it right in the in the editing room, and would you have a guess as to what that scene could be? We sort of kind of talked about it, huh? Non non action. Um, I imagine. Well, I, I, it depends how you define action, because uh, to me, where um, where, where the, the the Italian sister is killed, that to me. The Jana Bath scene, yeah, yeah, and that and that was uh, they, they they said um, it was the, the, I really like and don't think it was the hardest, but I like the Jana Bath scene just because it was so uncomfortable to try to do it tastefully, um, and the trick was knowing Keanu is a quality that people like to watch. How do you express? Because and again, when you think about that scene too, you had to you cut to Keanu and. Here's this hard-boiled... Well, he's in the mirror. Good. Yeah. He starts in the mirror, and then we cut to him, which and, I appreciate, and right? Right. It was, and it's a great scene. But we also see that there is there is a sympathetic side to him. And he's almost like, what are you doing? Like, why? You know? And I really appreciate that. And he goes well, on to say Keanu actually taught them how to workshop and how to really work a scene, meaning... For that, Gianna scene, Claudia uh, Garini, the actress. Uh, whoopsie. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with L.A., um, don't know if you guys heard me the first time, but if you're unfamiliar with L.A., we're having rain, and L.A. is so not... You could have a drizzle, and because L.A. is not um, tempered for any sort of rain, <laughs> we just had a minor power glitch. Yes. Um, I mean, we still fear not, we're alive. <laughs> And we're going to power through. Um, just a couple of screens went out. If you're watching a video, we apologize for and that. And if you're online, it looks like that might have winked out, too. Um, so let's see. I'm just going to... Uh, if you could be so kind to me. Sure, what do you need? Uh, just power the TV back on. It's on the right side, bottom, and that should get us fully operational. It's on the side right there. Um, thank you guys for uh, sure? <laughs> staying with us during this technical difficulty. We're about to be assassinated. That's what sure? I gather. You don't feel it? Is it the bottom button? Yep. yep. There we go. All right. Um, thank you guys for bearing through. Um, yeah, thanks. So, so I was saying, so they actually workshopped that entire scene. And they bring um, uh, Claudia uh, in. They brought her to the set a week ahead of time. Showed her the set roughly before it was really built, brought her back to the hotel, and spent the next two days just going over the scene, 
rehearsing just in the hotel room and they were talking and laughing figuring out the best way to do it and this was a keanu reeves idea of mm -hmm. workshopping through so that they you know and and again this is how important you know that it is to keanu and to the crew we want to how do we capture this best because again you're in this big room they're using reflection we want to show our protagonist as being sympathetic to the cause because he obviously knows her and they workshop this through before going well the nice part you know, you know what, I, what i from from john's perspective even though he hates to see what just actually happened uh you know i imagine <clears throat> he's he was so glad that she sort of did what he needed to do and then he just sort of confirms it mm -hmm. you know she's at that point she's already dead boom bullet to the head just to say i did it yep and out yep yeah, it's a good scene. And just going back to, you know, Keanu, apparently he's he's very good about talking about the scene. So this is, again, we talk about the collaborative effort, right? Obviously, these Keanu director have a relationship. And so when you engage Keanu Reeves or with Keanu Reeves from day one of development till this coming Monday when we premiere, he's involved. We may be shooting the Lawrence Fishburne scene, but when he's on break, he's like, okay, now... Let's talk more about the Gianna scene. And that's, you know, well, good for him. You know, I, I think that's pretty cool. And I think in a movie like this, where it is rather tight, um, it, you know, it, it, it sort of pays off. It, yeah. it pays off. Yeah, and I think, you, you know, I get the jokes that, that are out there about Keanu's acting and whatnot. I never felt it that warranted. I, great, I get that he's... You know, to, I don't know. Will he be in an Oscar-nominated, Oscar-worthy actor? No, but I also don't think he ever has to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he, his work it is fantastic. Yeah. Listen, people may laugh at me for saying this. Again, I'm with you. I never, I, I never thought the guy sucked as an actor. Um, people always wondered that the, there's a there's a movie. I think Kenneth Branagh may have directed, or somebody could check that out, or we can look it up. Much Ado About Nothing, mm -hmm. he was in. And people were joking that he was in it, and I was like, I don't know why. I, I remember seeing that movie. I thought he did a really good job. He was in Parenthood. People forget that he was in the the, the, the Ron Howard, Steve Martin Parenthood movie, and he was really and good in that, too. He wasn't Much Ado About Nothing, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't Much Ado. Was that Kenneth Branagh directed, I believe? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. I almost know something, a little something about movies, but yeah, he was in that. Uh, he's in the original Parenthood, which is a dramedy, directed by Ron Howard. Um, uh, Diane Weist, he's he's playing opposite her, uh, and it's uh, a Steve Martin comedy. It, it's a really good movie, and he does a really good job. Uh, the, you know, again, he's one of those people, the guy has had longevity. And then when he does The Matrix, it's like... Wow, he just explodes, and you know people. You know he does a great job. Well, before that, he did Speed, and no, that, he you know, I mean, Speed. Speed's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. you're it's right. Not, it's not like he wasn't on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll put it this way: if you're a filmmaker and you're going to make a movie, and you're you're an independent filmmaker, and Keanu said, "I want to be in your movie," would you really not take that? Of course, and he's a lover of cinema. Also, if we could look up, I believe he also directed the documentary about. Yeah, he, I, I I know he's uh, about big about digital, about digital filmmaking and print and and thirty five millimeter uh, filmmaking. He loves movies. 
It's side by side, is what side it's called. Side by side, I believe it's. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So again, a little something about something, but he—you could tell he loves movies. He loves his craft. To my knowledge, I've never met the man, but if he, he only was, produced it, he didn't he only direct it. it. I thought he directed. No, only produced it. Well, he okay. He produced it for a reason. I, I know that he really loves. He loves movies, the movie going experience. Uh, I've never heard any ill will being said about the guy. I've never met him, but more he's more than welcome to come on to this show anytime <laughs> to talk movies and talk about whatever he wants to talk about. But you're right. When he, he does a movie like Bill and Ted's Excellent, Excellent Adventure. Adventure. It's a funny movie. <laughs> and so like, I, when you look at all the different movies he has been in, um, what some of his movies have contributed to box office, not all of them have been hits, granted, but still. He's 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 been a contributing factor. I mean, he's been the Buddha. Yeah, that's right. He's been the Buddha. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, can't have a, there's you know nothing bad to say. Uh, I, I've never been one of those people where I've used Keanu Reeves as a as a button of jokes. He never annoyed me. Never annoyed me. Um, should we talk about its reception and yeah, let's, going let's, on all that fun stuff? Let's get into that. Um, uh, so I, I, I had mentioned it earlier, but um, it took only eight days for it to make double right. what, what the uh, the first John Wick did. Um, opening weekend alone, um, I mean, they this <laughs> you love you you always love the numbers, but um, yeah. estimated was twenty million. It made over thirty. Thirty, million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. and it came in at number it came in at number three. Yeah, decent week for uh, movies. No. I'm sorry, say that again. Decent. We, I mean, oh, the, 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 Lego fantastic. movie. You know, I mean, to, to have four, to have thirty million as as a third place isn't isn't that bad. We no, it's it was a fantastic week. It's been a fantastic. You know, we've had some. You know, between Split doing the business that it's done, uh, between Fifty Shades of Plaid or whatever, Fifty Shades mm-hmm. of Grayer or Darker or whatever, doing the business that it did. Then, of course, the Lego Batman movie. Um, shredding up some box office, and then you have John Wick Chapter Two doing thirty million. It's really astonishing when you think about how many pieces of the pie are, are out there and what they're taking from. So, yeah, the mere fact that John Wick was able to pull in um, thirty thirty plus million dollars, and thus far, I believe it's brought in as of February sixteenth, it's done forty two plus million dollars. Not too shabby at all. Um, with a production budget of, uh, I got an estimate of about $40 million plus. Yeah, and so you got to figure it's about anywhere between 70 and $80 million for all in. Hard drives, advertising, publicity. Um, you know, so that, to, you know, so, so they, they, they're on their way. Internationally, um, I believe we've got a like. There's a good international contingent on this movie. Foreign took in twenty one point three percent of the gross. I mean, here's what's so, great about international. Number one, there's so little dialogue. Number two, when there is, it's all in subtitles. So just well, change the subtitles and you're in. But you got to think too that internationally he's a star too because of the Matrix. The Matrix mm-hmm. blew him up worldwide. Damn. You know, so. That's where he can come in internationally. So, I mean, 
worldwide the movie's made over 53 million dollars okay add to that you get a rotten tomato score of 90 percent which unheard is unheard of for this type for of a sequel to, to an action movie it's hard to do and you're right it's 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 very rare that you're getting 90 percent. and i believe just look up jack reacher too how with that guy sure so but you know even you know its cinema score, I believe, was an A minus, meaning the audiences liked it. Uh, the audience I saw it with loved it, loved it. I got um, an A plus from your audience. Yeah, oh my god, <laughs> it was a great audience to see that movie with. How about you? Like, yeah, the, uh, the audience I saw it with. Um, this was, I think, random time in the middle of the week, um, but fairly full and enjoyed it. Yeah, I went. I think I saw it on like Sunday or. Or could it like yeah Sunday or Saturday like it was like a matinee show but it was crowded and the audience the audience really they ate it up they really liked it a lot um, and again uh, I did see it on a premium large format I, I saw it in the Cinemarks XD so it looked fantastic it sounded you know bullets were whizzing over <laughs> my head I mean it sounded great this is part of why I just I'm such a proponent of the movie going experience i can't get this at my house you know i have a tv that's a little bit bigger than this monitor right here i have a really decent sound system but to see it play out and listen to this 11 you know million speaker sound system it's, it's great and the audience cheering and clapping you know when, when when he's killing people with a pencil it's it's fun it's 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 that's why that's why I love going to movies. It brings you into, it just takes you to, you know two hours of good entertainment, yeah. um, and it gets you out of the house. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so there you necessary. go. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, we already <clears throat> talked sequel and everything else. So um, yeah, unless there's anything to add, I think just just recommend it. Yeah. Recommend well, it, it seems like everybody's recommending it. It seemed that the audience, when, when we had online, uh, they were they were really into this as well. Um, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting weekend. Uh, you know, we have some more action movies this and we fight. have some comedy. We have Fist Fight. We've got that Great Wall. Um, you know, the Lego movie's still out there doing business. This movie's going to still be doing business. I suspect that Fifty Shades Darker or Gray or whatever the hell. I have a feeling that might fall off a cliff um, because they already had their weekend and they had Valentine's Day, and you know, now uh, the guy, the, the guy that was dragged to Fifty Shades is gonna go. You're coming to John Wick Chapter Two with me <laughs> this this weekend. Um, so it's gonna be an interesting to see how things fall out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of which, we'll be doing um, a fist fight as well as the Great Wall next week. So definitely check back in for that. Uh, oh, as always, we've done we've done over 320 episodes of Anatomy of Movies, so plenty Yeesh. of movies for you to go back to. Um, I don't think I was part of the panel, or maybe I just don't remember, but we did do John Wick. We did. I thought you were. I don't know. I, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. So, yeah, I didn't have any. I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Um, as we posed a lot of questions, um, the biggest one, as we, we didn't go into the world too much because I felt it would have unraveled too many things and I didn't want to spoil for me what it was a fun movie by going down a rabbit hole that we just couldn't get out of. Absolutely. But that's what the comment section's for. We'll be happy to go with you down the rabbit hole there. 
In the meantime, at DMovies1701. Yeah, get me over uh, 10 supporters on, on Twitter, please. And uh, yeah, I think, I think be, people just de desperately digits. don't want to do it. Like Every time you put it out there, now they're like, I won't. I drop. It's like a challenge. It goes by, yeah, I get I get silly robot follower things like, what the hell is this floor shine wax following me for? Listen, <laughs> people love interacting with you in the comments section, for better or worse. For better or worse, they love interacting with you there. Um, at the Popcorn Talk here. Um, and um, I'm going to be launching a new website for me where you can get all the stuff uh, that I do. PhilosophyTech.com. See nice. how simple that is? I like that. So I'm building that out. Simplicity works. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll be doing Lego Batman movie later today, so check back in if you've seen that. And as mentioned, um, Fist Fight and um, Great Wall. Yeah, we got soon. Beauty and the Beast. March is going to be a big month. Uh, this March is going to be so be much great. fun. We're having so much fun. Bye for Bye. now. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.